In progress. All right, ladies and gentlemen, a formal welcome to Torah Studies. This is our weekly look at the soul of the Torah portion. We try to explore deeper themes that are relevant to the, to the time of year and to the Torah portion and to connect it with our lives. So this week, we have a very special Torah portion. It's called Tazria. However, today's class, tonight's class, is not about the Torah portion. Nope. Today's class is once again about the Maftir. As I explained last week, the Maftir is the little section that we add, the eighth reading that we have every Shabbat in synagogues around the world. The Torah portion is divided into seven readings, and then we call an eighth individual to the Torah to say a blessing. And the eighth individual, uh, when the eighth person is called, a few, typically, usually a few verses are read, and then you go, and then you put the Torah away, and then you go into the book of the prophets, books of the prophets, and you read the Haftorah, which is, the additional reading um, in addition to the actual Torah from the five books of Moses. And so usually the maftir, and I explained all this last week, but i just do it again to a very quick recap. Usually the maftir uh, comes from the last three or four or five verses of the Torah portion, but a few times a year you read a special maftir related to Inyana Diyema, timely matters. This week, once again, last week we had Paro, which is about the red heifer. This week we have what's called Hachodesh. This is Parshas Hachodesh. We read the Maftir, the eighth reading is a reading that tells us about the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh, which is the first mitzvah that the Jews got before the exodus from Egypt. Before God took the Jewish people out of Egypt, this is after, well, after nine of the ten plagues, between plague nine and number ten, God says to Moses, I got a few things to talk about with you. Number one, we have the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh. Make sure that you observe from now on the Jewish calendar. It's going to be based on the lunar cycle. Nisan, this month that we're in, is the first month of the year, etc., as we'll read in the verses. So number one, Rosh Chodesh, the Jewish month begins when the moon is born. I know the moon doesn't actually go anywhere and come back, but at least visibly it, 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 it wanes. You can't see it anymore. The moment you can see it again, boom, shakalaka. That first day is Rosh Chodesh, the first of the Jewish month. That's why day 15 is always a full moon, right? Call your werewolves and have them set their calendars. 15th day of the month is always that day. First of all, a special welcome to Ray. Ray, it's good to see you. And it's good to see you on the couches. I like those couches. Um, all right, back, back to our story. So that's one mitzvah. They, they got a second mitzvah in Egypt before the 10th plague, which is the mitzvah of the Paschal Lamb, the Carbon Pesach. Those are the two commandments that the Jewish people got whilst in Egypt. And we read these two mitzvot, this Shabbos, this Shabbat, as the eighth reading from the Torah, and then we segue to the half Torah, but that is what we read on HaChodesh. By the way, this Shabbos, you should know, set your calendars, or it's already set, just tune into the fact that this Shabbos is Rosh Chodesh Nisan. The first of the month of Nisan is Shabbat. This Saturday is Rosh Chodesh. Thus, it's very appropriate that we read the, the section that talks about Rosh Chodesh. All right, let's read it inside. I'm going to pull up the, uh, the text on the screen, and we'll read it inside as well. For those of us here in person, if you have a book at home, you also can read along from the book. This is page 207, text 1A. You know what? Let's start off with Marnine. Marnine, please read text 1A. This is the opening of our maftir. This month will be for you the head of the months. The first of the months of the year, it will be for you. This is what God tells Moses. 
still in Egypt, to tell the Jewish people, this month is the, is the head of the month, the first month of the year will be for you. Now, here's the cool thing. It, it's, it's, a, it's Rosh Chodesh. Um, the word this means this. When the moon looks like this, that's when the first of the month is. And it's also saying something interesting, which is that the month of Nisan will be the first of the month. Now, how do we know this? So Rashi explains, Marnie, please continue text 1b. Regarding the month of Nisan, God said it will be the first in the order of months. Iyar will be called second. Sivan will be third. So what God is telling Moses, and uh, by virtue of that being printed in the Torah, right, or being written in the Torah, telling us, is that henceforth, from this moment on, the month of Nisan, which is starting this Saturday, Shabbat, the month of Nisan in the Jewish, on the Jewish calendar is month number one. The month after that, which is ER, is month number two. The month after that, Sivan, is month number three. So the count begins with Nisan. Okay, make sense? Sort of? Yeah. Yeah, as much as anything does. I'll tell you this, it doesn't make any sense at all to me, and I'll tell you why. It doesn't make any sense because what, what we have here now is a very complicated calendar. Okay, let's just break this down. We have right now a very complicated calendar by virtue of the fact that the new year begins when? Rosh Hashanah. When's Rosh Hashanah? The first of the month of, what's, what month is it? The first of Tishrei. You with me? The month of Tishrei. The first of the month of Tishrei is Rosh Hashanah. We blow the shofar, we dip our apples in honey, we do tashach with the fish and all the good stuff. Okay, that's the first of the month of Tishrei. What month is that? Based on this count, for counting now, right, Nisan, this Shabbos, the Shabbat, is month number one, yeah? So how many months away? Nisan, Iyar, Sivan, Tammuz, of Elul, Tishrei. You see what's going on here? To me, this is weird. Okay, here's why it's weird. Let me, if, if you don't know why it's weird yet, hang on, let me explain why it's weird. It's weird because we're calling Nisan, apparently, apparently, month number one which means that Tishrei is month number seven, which means, and, and stay with me for a second, that the Jewish New Year begins with month number seven. Very bizarre. The New Year begins month number seven. And once the New Year begins, seven months later, you have month number one. None of this makes sense. Are you with me? None of this makes sense. It's a half a year apart, and yet there's two heads. There's a head of the year and a head of the months. And they're not synced up. And it's weird. And now the Jewish calendar is weird. We thought it was always weird because, you know, it goes by the moon phases and whatnot. But now it's really weird. Will the real first month please stand up? Everyone has, gets a Jewish calendar, right? You get your Jewish calendar. Sorry, everyone that gets a Jewish calendar knows that the beginning of the calendar is around September, October. Rosh Hashanah. And you would think, month number one. Nope, that's not, that's month seven. We started the year with month seven? Who does that? Started the year month seven? It's like Jewish time. It's always late. We started the year, it's already seven. Like, what's going on? Who does that? How does that even make sense? I, is the question clear? Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yes? So you have the new year beginning in Tishrei, but according to what we just learned, what we're going to read on Shabbos, Tishrei is really month seven because month number one is Nisan, but Nisan is halfway through the year, through the calendar year, and that's month number one. What? Mind blown. All right, so we need to get some clarity on this. This is a, a very sticky situation. And so 
we are going to turn to the Ibn Ezra, one of the classic commentaries, medieval commentaries on the Torah, and he has a very interesting insight where he explains the difference between the solar and the lunar cycles. This is something that's, I would say, very straightforward, uh, something that we can intuitively understand, but the way he phrases it is really cool and really powerful, and let's uh, jump to that inside. Remind me your name, sorry. Shay. Shay. All right, please read text number two, if you will, uh, page 208. Actually, the year belongs only to the sun, as the sun gives birth to the four seasons of the year, cold, fall, heat, spring, summer, and winter. Now let us assume the sun to be at the beginning of Aries. It will travel in its sphere for 365 days, plus close to a quarter of a day, until it returns a second time to where it started out. This is why a year is called Shana. Now the moon has no year, just as the sun has no months. The sun never experiences renewal. Only the moon's light is renewed. It is because of this that a month is called a Chodesh. So the Ibn, Ibn Ezra says something very, thank you. Ibn Ezra says something very interesting. He says like this. The, again, it's obvious, but let's just break it down. He says the sun operates on an annual cycle which means that whichever season you want to pick, right? Whichever season you want to pick, when does the season come around again? A year later. That's the way it works, right? So let's say you, you choose to pick the beginning of Aries. Aries is, um, is, um, is springtime, right? This time of year. So let, and spring, by the way, spring begins what, what, uh, what day is spring? Yeah, do we know the date of spring? I looked it up. I know these things because I looked it up, Google told me, March 20th is the beginning of spring, apparently. So yeah, let's say spring begins March 20th. Next year, when is it going to begin? Again, 365 and a quarter days later. That's the cycle of the sun. And the sun doesn't change. Hey, Matt, good to see you. When I say the sun doesn't change, right? The sun doesn't get bigger and smaller and wax and wane. The sun is, the sun is uh, fully bright. I know it, it's, it rises and sets. Yeah, I know that. But this, the moon also comes in and out. But when it comes in and out every day, some days it's bigger, some days it's smaller. So in other words, it's not just appearing and reappearing. It's of different sizes. Whereas the sun is consistent. Every day you have the sun. And that cycle is 365 and a quarter days. What about the moon? The moon is... Constantly, the moon. So, oh, so he says, that's why a year is called Shana, because Shana means repeat. It's a consistent repetition. Every year on that cycle, everything repeats. It's exactly the same as before, the same four seasons, etc. When it comes to the moon, the moon is a little bit different. We're on uh, 208, Ibn Ezra, talking about moons and suns, right? So the moon is different because the moon experiences a type of renewal in the sense that it diminishes and then it comes back, there's flux. The moon is in flux. It's not the same, it's not consistent. The moon that you saw one day is not the same moon that you're gonna see the next day, it's different. Every day is different with the moon. The moon is therefore called a month, by the way, the word month is etymologically related to the word moon. Moon month are, are similar, right, etymologically. And that in Hebrew is called Chodesh. A month is Chodesh. Why? Chadash. It's new. There's renewal. It's new. Every day it's new. There's a new, a, a new iteration of the moon, a new, a, new, a new size of the moon, a new brilliance of the moon. Every day is a little bit different. 
And as the Ibn Ezra points out, one other, one additional point, this, this, look, this reading was packed with information. One other point that, that bears mentioning is that the year doesn't possess months, and months don't possess a year. Let me explain. A year is 365 and a quarter days. That has no division into 12. Are you with me what I just said? You, might, you could say four seasons, sure, but what's 12? What does 12 have? Why 12 months in a year? You, you ever wonder that? Why 12 months in a year? There's no sense to 12 months in a year. Are you with me on that? In other words, the annual, a solar year doesn't naturally have 12 divisions in it, naturally, scientifically. A year is an annual cycle. Maybe four seasons, it should be divided into four sections, perhaps, but not 12. 12 is completely arbitrary. A month is 29 and a half days. The lunar cycle is 29 and a half days. So that's divided in a monthly cycle. The moon, is the, it, the moon has a monthly cycle, but has no annual cycle, right? A moon doesn't necessarily have an annual cycle. You with me on this? Yes? Yeah? The sun has no monthly cycle. The moon has no annual cycle. Okay? So therefore, they're two completely different systems. So therefore, we might ask the following question. I'm sorry. So therefore, we might answer the following. That's why in, Ju in the Jewish calendar, we have two completely different firsts. We have a first of the year, which is Rosh Hashanah. And we have a first of the months, which is this month that's coming up right now, the Shabbos, the month of Nisan. Why? Because they're two different counts, completely different counts. You have the solar count, the solar cycle, and you have the lunar cycle. And those don't intertwine. Those are totally, what is it, near the twine meat or something like that, the wax uh, Shakespearean or something or other, right, or not, right? The two don't meet. The two are completely different systems. You have... The, the solar system, which is an annual system, which begins every Tishrei, first of Tishrei is Rosh Hashanah, thus begins an annual cycle. And the month, the, the, lunar, the, the, the moon is a lunar system. Sorry, the month is a lunar system, and, that's the, and, and that goes by the moon. And thus it has a different beginning, just because it's different. It doesn't need to share the same beginning. Okay? Now, what we have thus, thus... What we have is a clarity on this, that there are two different systems. The sun is a year, it's not a month. The month is a month, it's not a year. And in Judaism, we have two different systems. The first of Tishrei is Rosh Hashanah. The first of Nisan is the first of the months of the year. So there's a Rosh of Chadashim, there's a head of months, and a Rosh Hashanah, a head of years. Two different, two different origin points, two different beginnings. Six months apart. The year begins in Tishrei. The months begin in Nisan. And that's it. Okay? We've technically answered the question. But it still doesn't make sense. <laughs> right? I mean, even if they're two different systems, why not align them anyway? Why not start them both in the same point? They might be two different systems. The, the annual system, which runs by the sun, and the monthly system, which runs by the moon. Fine. But start them off in the same month. Right? Tishrei is the beginning of the year. And let's say Tishri is also the beginning of the months. Why can't it be the same? It has to be different. Huh? Jews. Jews. Right. <laughs> Jews. Hashtag Jews. What are you going to do? Complicated. Right? Making it complicated. So that's number one. Yes, there are two different systems. Yes, they don't actually connect, really. Because, again, the sun, the solar cycle, 
right? The, the annual cycle of the sun, so to speak, does not have 12 divisions of months. I mean, I know our calendar does, but that's arbitrary. It's completely arbitrary. It doesn't have embedded in the natural cycle of the sun 12 divisions. It doesn't. It has an annual cycle. The moon has a, a 29 and a half day cycle. The sun has a 365 day cycle. The moon has a 29 and a half day, 365 and a quarter, 29 and a half day cycle. Each one has its own, its own geshaft. Each one has its own business. Each one has its own realm of existence. So therefore, we could say one starts here and one starts there. Shalmai Yisrael, everything's fine. But it still doesn't make sense because, again, as I said, why not just start them both at the same time? Kill two birds with one stone. Why not? We shouldn't kill any birds with any stones. But I'm saying, if we're already having a start, if you have a calendar that begins in one place, start the year there, start the months there, it makes it easier. That's question number one. Question number two, if, we, if for some reason we wanted to make a distinction. No, we have to be clear that there's two different systems. There's the solar annual system and the lunar monthly system, and we want to delineate the two. If for some reason we want to you know, stand on ceremony and say, no, these are going to begin at different times. Okay, why this month? Why Nisan? Why is this month that's coming up? Why is Nisan chosen as the month to begin the lunar cycle, to begin the annual, if you will, lunar cycles? Why? Why? Why this month specifically? The next question is, why do months even have to have an annual cycle? The whole thing doesn't make sense. Right? We said this month, the month of Nisan, that's literally the, the first reading of the matter that we're going to read. This month will be the first of the months of the year. So if you're counting your 12 months, if you're counting the year, that's Rosh Hashanah. If you're counting the months, month number one is Nisan, month number two is, is ER, etc. Who needs to count months? Why are we counting months? What's going on over here? Why not just name them? Why count them? Why do we need to have month one, month two, month three? So again, that's, a, that's question number three. We have four questions, kind of like Passover. Right? Question number one is, why don't we start them at the same time? Question number two is, if for some reason we don't want to start them at the same time, then why, why do we pick Nisan as the beginning of the months? The third question is, why do months have a one through 12 count in the first place? Months don't roll back over again after 12. You with me on this? Does that make any sense? What happens after 12 months? Nothing. Month 13, 14, 15. The, the, the number should just continue in a linear fashion. The, yeah, the, the year cycles. You come back to spring a year later. What happens after 13 months? Nothing. Sorry, after 12 months. Nothing. It's a month again, a month again, a month again, a month again. Why are we going one through 12 of the months? Make sense? No? Because what we're assuming that is the month counting what we do within the year. It's weird. It's weird I guess I never. What? I never, I guess that's always been an assumption. I never really. Like, that's that's that. what that's of, that's what we're probing is the, that kind of we're pushing against the, the the contours of what we've what we've taken for granted, right? We we've taken for granted. Let's let's forget about the Jewish calendar for a second. We've taken for granted that in the secular calendar, a year has twelve months. Quite. Again, in, the, in addition to the four questions I'm going to ask, is another question, which is on the, on the secular calendar, why 12 months? Why not 10 months? Why not 10 months? 10 is an even number. 12 is a weird number. Why 12? I mean, why 12? The lunar cycle. Huh? The lunar cycle. But the lunar cycle, 12 lunar cycles, 12 times 29 and a half, is 254 days, not three, sorry, 354 days, not 365. I mean, it's, it's the closest. You're right. It's the closest you can get, but it's still not precise. 
So 12 lunar, which is why there has to be a Jewish leap year every two or three years, with an extra month of Adar. Because to reconcile, there's a gap of 11 days. The Jewish year is shorter. So every three years, it's now shorter 33 days. So we have to add another month to get it back 29 or 30 days. And then it, it goes back and forth to reconcile it. But the, the point is, in the English calendar, in the secular calendar, Gregorian calendar, whatever you want to call it, right? why are there 12 months? Why not 10 months? Why not 5 months? Why not 4 months? It's arbitrary. It's completely arbitrary. In the Jewish calendar, which allegedly goes by the moon, why... Um, so then what, what role does the 365 days play? What role does the year play? It just seems to be months. But that, that's, that's getting a little bit off, off target with, with the questions that I'm asking. So again, question number one is, if let's assume that there are two different systems. The solar uh, cycle, the lunar cycle, 365 days in the year, 29 and a half days in the month, two different cycles. So why not start them with the same month? The year begins here and the months begin here. It should be the same starting point for convenience sake. That's question number one. Question number two is if for whatever reason we want to differentiate between the two and say that they have two different starting points, which it seems like we do want to do that, why pick the month of Nisan halfway through the year, through the solar year, to start the months? Why specifically Nisan? Question number three is, question number three is, if, if the month has its own cycle, then why do you even need to have a first of the months of the year? Why a first? A first through 12th and then start again? Who needs it? I mean, if you have a year, that's your cycle. But if you have months, every month is a new month. New, 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 right? Why one through 12 and start again? What's the point? What's the point of the count? You with me on this? All right. Final question is, at the end of the day, what does any of this have to do with us? Like, what's the lesson? Because the whole point of Torah study is really, I mean, one of the major objectives is not to study about theoretical concepts, but to apply it to our lives. In 2022, to apply it to our lives today, what lessons can we learn from all of this? So, I want to present tonight two perspectives. One I would call the historical sociological perspective on these questions. And number two the spiritual psychological approach, okay? So again, approach number one is historical, sociological. Yeah, it's gonna be a good approach. Approach number two is a little bit deeper, a little bit more spiritual, a little bit more psychological, and that is the arc of the rest of the class. Two approaches, two responses, two answers, two perspectives. Each one, has, each one is beautiful, um, and each one will have lessons for us. All right, so we begin now with text number three. So we have the questions, we have lots of questions, and um, what was that? You've got questions, we've got answers. Who was that? Who, who marketed themselves like that? Was that Radio Shack? Staples? No, one of the, one of the people doing your taxes. Uh, I don't know. You go, should we go to answers? All right, whatever. Whoever that is. Let's do text number three. This is a long text. I'm going to read it and throw in some commentary as well. This is coming from Ramban, Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman, the great medieval uh, commentary. And he says, he gives us the historical, sociological perspective that is quite fascinating. All right, again, it's page 209. I'm going to pull it up on the screen. Um, I'm going to read this one. Radio Shack. Radio Shack. Okay. Perfect. That's what I thought. I think I said Radio Shack is my first option, and thank you for corroborating that. All right. Um, text three. Let's go. The answer to this question, says Ramban Nachmanides, is that when the Torah says regarding Nisan, this month is for you, the head of months, the first of the months of the year it is to you, 
That's what we're going to read this Shabbos, Exodus 12, 2. It does not mean to say that Nisan is a categorical first. Aha. But that it is a relative first, namely first for us. Now, hold on. Let me stop here for a second. Look at the verse again in the quotation marks. It says, this month is for you, the head of months. The first of the months of the year it is to you. In other words, there's a Jewish message here. It's not that the year begins for everybody, so to speak. I mean, even that's a little bit you know, particular to us, but whatever. But it's not like the year begins Rosh Hashanah. This is to you. Nisan is now month number one. Let's continue inside. Let's, let's, let's see what he's saying. Let's see where he's going with this. That is to say, it is the first month since our exodus, another, or, or month one to the exodus, because the exodus happens, of course, in this month of Nisan that's upcoming. Passover is coming up. So it's the first month not since our exodus, but the first month in the exodus count, so to speak. And the Torah instructs us to begin our count of months from the month of our exodus. Let's continue inside. It is the Torah's custom, listen to this example that he gives. It's the Torah's custom to link the counting of days and months to mitzvot. For example, Jews do not have names for the days of the week. Uh, you should know this, right? Monday is not a Jewish thing. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, those aren't Jewish names. Yom Sheni. Ah, ah, ah. Say it again. Yom Rishon, Yom Sheni, Yom Shlishi, Yom Revi'i. What does that mean? Yom Rishon to Shabbat, to the upcoming Shabbat. It's day one. That's, that's, what, that's what we call it. It's Yom Rishon to, I'm not saying people say that in colloquial conversation, but that's the, the, the full phrase is, Hayom Yom Rishon Shabbat. Today is the first day of to, uh, of the week of, that will culminate in Shabbat. So that's what he says over here. Jews do not have names for the days of the week. Other nations have names for each day, as we know. Jews, however, don't have names for the days of the week. Instead, we refer to them in the framework of Shabbos, of Shabbat. We say, the first day of the, Shabbat, of the Shabbat, the second day of the Shabbat. This is so that we will remember Shabbat every day. Why don't we call it Monday? Because what does Monday mean? I mean, aside from the fact that I think it comes from, like... Greek mythology or okay. other things, right? Aside from that fact? Monday, right? And Sunday is Sunday. And Tuesday? Whatever. Tuesday is Tuesday. Um, huh? Tuesday. Yeah, exactly, right? So the point is that the, the names that we call it in English or other languages or whatever it is, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything Jewishly. But day one to Shabbos means that every day you're thinking about Shabbos. When you say day two, what, what's day two? Day two on the march toward Shabbos. That means that you're always thinking about Shabbat every single day of the week. Yeah. So, so day one starts Friday night. Day one starts Sunday. No, it's day one on the march to the next Shabbat. Remember, Shabbos is Saturday. So it's Saturday night. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, fine. Saturday night, Sunday. Correct. Yom Rishon would be, let's just call it Sunday for, for, for ease of, uh, of conception. Right? Sunday is day one. Monday is day two. Wednesday, sorry, Tuesday is day three. Wednesday is day four. Thursday is day five. Friday is day six. Shabbat is day seven, right? We rest in the seventh day of the week, literally, right? But why do we use the numbers and not the names? Because the names don't mean anything relative to Shabbat. But the days mean something. Day one toward Shabbat. Day two toward Shabbat. Day three toward, toward Shabbat. So every day we remember Shabbat. Like that's what he says. This is so, that, that last sentence, this is so that we remember Shabbat every single day. 
Similarly, listen to this. Months never had names. Look at this. Months never had names in the Torah or among Jews. Historically, the months never had a name. You look at the Bible, you look at the Torah, the months aren't called Nisan, Iyar, Sivan, Tammuz, Av, Elo, Tishrei, Cheshvan, Kislev, Tevi, Shvat, Adar. You don't find those names in the Bible. They don't exist. You know what the, what the months are called? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Why? Let's continue. Rather, Jews were referred to the months as the Torah does in the first month, and it was in the second year, in the second month, that the cloud lifted, in the seventh month, on the first day, etc. In other words, we refer to the months historically with a number. This, then, is the meaning of it is the first to you. Exodus 12, yeah. It does not mean that it is the beginning of the year. That's Rosh Hashanah. It means that it is the first to us, namely that we should call it the first month since our exodus. In other words, if I were to, re to, to, to restate the Ramban in my own words, and I feel like it's a little bit cryptic, and that's, uh, that's, that's what I'm trying to explain right now, what he's trying to say is just like the days of the week, by referring to them as numbers, by numbering them, they remind us every day of Shabbat that's coming up. So too by numbering the months, 1 through 12, it's and centering number 1 around the Exodus, every time we call a month, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, it's the first month relative to the Exodus. Month 2, relative to the Exodus. Month 7, relative to the Exodus. So what are we thinking about? The Exodus, Right? Exodus, Exodus, Exodus. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Right? We're thinking about the Exodus every month. We're obsessed with the Exodus. Why? Because it was such a seminal moment in our history. Boom. Historical, sociological explanation. Because in our history, the Exodus plays such a central role, it literally frames our existence as not just the origin of our people. It's not just when the Jewish nation officially you know, was, was birthed into existence, a nation being extracted from the bowels of another nation, as, as the prophets refer to it, right? The birth of a nation, pulling a slave people out of the bowels of Egyptian society and declaring that they are free with their own mandate, a.k.a. Known, also known as the Torah. That's not the only, right? it's not just historical. The, to the Exodus begins, it's, it's not just the beginning of our nation, it's the core of our, of our nation. The idea of freedom, the idea of, of human rights, the idea of spiritual identity, that's the core of our people. The exodus is the central, is the central um, axis around which our society revolves. And thus, what's month number one? Nisan, the month of the exodus. Month two, the next month. Er, Sivan, Tammuz. But you number them in such a way that you're always reminded Where's number one? Which is month number one? Nisan, Exodus, because that's where everything uh, uh, re revolves around. So again, according to Nachmanides, we're still sticking with what we said before. So we have two separate systems, completely separate systems. There's the year cycle, the annual cycle of the sun, and the monthly moon cycle, two different cycles. But we ask the question, fine, they're different, but why start them at different times? And the answer is simple, because creation, right, creation happens... In, in, in the month of Tishrei, that's, that's one cycle, that's one commemoration. Exodus is Nisan. And so when we're counting our months, our years go by another count. But the months go by the Exodus count because the Exodus is such an important part of 
our identity, historically, sociologically, etc. I got to read this text. Text number four. It is phenomenal. Again, it's a long text. I'm going to read it. I always take the long text. Um, I would never want to subject someone to a really long text. All right, text four. Take a look at this. This is David Ben-Gurion. Look what he says. Look what he says. About 300 years ago, and he's trying to make a case for Jewish identity. Look what he says. About 300 years ago, a ship set sail for the New World, and its name was the Mayflower. This was an important event in the history of both England and America. And for this reason, to this day, every American child knows of the Mayflower, the Pilgrims, Plymouth Rock, and... Thanksgiving Day. I know today it's complicated, but whatever. This he said uh, some decades ago. I am, however, very interested to know if any Englishman, or American for that matter, is aware of the hour and the day that the Mayflower set sail. Does any child or even adult know how many pilgrims there were on this historical voyage? What were the names of their families? What did they wear? What did they eat? Where did they get water to drink? What path did they navigate and what happened en route? Behold, he says, let's contrast that with Judaism. Behold, it was more than 3,300 years ago, not a few hundred years ago, 3,300 years ago that our people left Egypt. Every Jew in the world in America, Soviet Russia, Yemen, and Germany knows that his ancestors departed precisely on the 15th of the month of Nisan. What did they wear? Their loins were girded, their sandals were on their feet, and their staffs were in their hands. They ate matzot and arrived at the Red Sea after a seven-day journey. They, knew the, they know the names of their ancestors, and they can quote them to you from the five books of Moses. To this day, Jews the world over eat the same matzot. Literally, it tastes like the same matzot that's preserved for 300 years. Okay. Eat the same matzot for seven days, starting from the 15th of Nisan each year, and they relate the story of the Exodus, and they end by shouting two phrases that children and parents and grandparents have been saying for thousands of years. Now we are slaves. Next year, we will be free men. Now we are in exile. Next year, we will be in Jerusalem, in the land of Israel. This is the nature of the Jews. What a powerful talk. What a powerful speech. Uh, this is an excerpt, certainly, uh, from David Ben-Gurion explaining the Jewish connection to Jewish history and how that has been ever preserved, forever preserved in the Jewish community, in the Jewish psyche, from parents to children, generation after generation. And according to Nachmanides, what is a key component? It's the fact that we've numbered the months starting from the month of Nisan. That gives Nisan, the month of the Exodus, a centrality. What's number one? Foam finger number one, right? Like on college camps around the world, we're number one, right? What's foam finger number one? Nisan, the Exodus, that's the birth, birth of our nation, that's our identity, freedom, Israel, etc. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the big idea here, okay? So that's, that's, one, that's one perspective. So we asked a bunch of questions. Let me just uh, get everyone, everyone together on the same page here and briefed. So one question, sorry, the questions that we had were, yes, there are two different systems, but why have different months? Why have Rosh Hashanah starting here and the months of the year starting here? What does it even mean? Why Nisan of all months? Um, what's the meaning of this, etc.? We had all these questions, all these questions. Great. So we've answered them. We've, answered, we've pretty much answered them by saying that, yes, there's two different systems. You have the system of, of the year, that's one thing, and then you have the system of the months, and the months are, are, are celebrating the Exodus. The Exodus is a seminal moment, just like the days of the week are all about kind of um, hoisting up Shabbat, Shabbos, as the crown jewel of the week. Right? That's the most important, the most central day of the week is Shabbat. So Sunday is not Sunday. It's day one to Shabbat, right? It's on the road to Shabbat. It's day one. And Monday is day two. And Tuesday is day three, etc. So it doesn't have its own identity. It's only one of seven. 
two of seven, three of seven, four of seven. It's kind of like its identity is subject, is, is subjected and, and, and part of, subsumed, if you will, within the Shabbat uh, centrality. The same thing is true with the months. We don't have names for the uh, Initially, we didn't have names for the months. Month one is Exodus. Why? Because that's when we began as a nation. That's so core to the Jewish mission. Exodus, month number one. And ER, month number two. Two to one. Two back to the, to the origin, to the origin story. So historically and sociologically, yeah? Yeah, just question. Is it off topic to ask why and when did the months get named? Yes, perfect. I was going to mention that. Already a few times in my head I wanted to mention that. Question on the table is, so when did the months get their Hebrew names? Why? And why? So the answer is, it happened during the times of the Persian, when the Jews were subject, were subje, uh, subjected uh, or subjugated under the Persian Empire. In other words, during the time of the story of Purim, the story of Esther. It happened at that time, and that's why in the Megillah, that's the first book, the Megillah, Megillah is the book of Esther, the first time you find the names of the Jewish months. Like Haman, Haman uh, cast lots, and it fell on... The month of Adar, it calls it Adar. It also calls it month number 12, but it also calls it Adar. It's 12, of course, because the next month is Nisan, which is month number one. So it uses both names, the, it uses both references, the name and the count. Now, why did they do it? It seems like, it seems like, what's the, what's the indication? I had it in my notes over here. Um, yeah. It seems like they wanted to commemorate their liberation from the eggs, ultimately from that Persian or Babylon. It started with the Babylonians, then went to the Assyrians, then went to the Persians. But they wanted to commemorate the redemption from that exile. So they used names that would then remind them, since those names originated at that time, so they would be reminded of that. Um, liberation or that, that freedom from that exile, so to speak. So when they got out of the Egyptian exile, that's when the month, the, the month started with one, two, three from that time. And when they got out of the Babylonian or Persian exile, that's when um, they did the naming. And, and every time we use the names, we recall that redemption as well with the rebuilding of the second temple after that period of exile. Just to clarify, the first temple was destroyed by the Babylonians. But in those 70 years, world powers changed hands. And by the end of the 70 years, it wasn't the Babylonians that were in charge of that area. It was the Persians. That's why it starts with the Babylonians, who actually drove the people out. But it ended under Persian rule. And the second temple was rebuilt under the auspices of the Persian king, who some say was either the son or grandson of Esther, which makes sense why he would have let the Jewish people build the temple. Spoiler alert. But anyway, that's uh, up for historical controversy and debate. That's, uh, check your local listings for more details on that. Um, but that's a great question. So when we call the months the name and we use the number, it recalls both, I don't know if you would call it exoduses, but both uh, wonderful experiences, the exodus from Egypt and the rebuilding of the second temple after that Babylonian exile. All right, so that's the historical sociological perspective. The years begin in Tishrei, that's one count, and the months, the months begin in Nisan. That's when redemption happens, that's when the Exodus happens, and because we're such an Exodus-centric people, I mean, literally, we celebrate it every year, every day, we mention the Exodus and the Shema, like we're, 
you know, we're pretty, we're pretty into the Exodus, so therefore the months, that's when they begin their count. Month one is the month of the Exodus, and it rolls out from there. All right, that's a, that's a, that's a good answer. The Ramban's answer, Nachmani's answer, classic, good answer, uh, hardly any holes in that answer, solid. Um, but I want to go a little, a little bit deeper. For the remaining time that we have, the next 10 minutes or so, I want to present the spiritual psychological perspective. So that was one answer, now we have another answer. And it's not, a, it's not a completely different answer, but it just goes a little bit deeper. We have clearly, what we have, uh, what, what's clear from all the above is that we have two different systems. We have an annual solar system and a monthly lunar system. So let's probe a little bit deeper into the distinctions between these two systems. And the way we're going to frame it is it's the difference between the natural and the supernatural. We kind of had allusions to this before in one of the earlier texts that I read, or that we read, but here's how we're going to position these two different systems of time. The annual system of time, which begins in Tishrei, um, that's, that's related to the solar cycle, and it's 365 and a quarter days. It repeats consistently. The sun doesn't waver. And that's when in our tradition, the world was created. That was Rosh Hashanah is the origin of, well, if not the world, then at least the origin of mankind. That is the origin of the natural universe as we know it. So Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, marks the origins of nature. Nature. And thus, it's the solar cycle, which is very natural and very, um, the word I'm looking for is consistent. The, the sun is there every day. It's shining, it's doing its thing, and it's consistent, sunrise, sunset, as per the sun. Then you have the next cycle of time, and that is the monthly lunar cycle, 29 and a half days, that begins, month number one is the month of Nisan, and that begins a different segment in time altogether. Because what happened in Nisan is not the natural, it is the supernatural. What happens in, in Nisan with the Exodus is something that didn't make sense. No slave, according to our tradition, no slave had ever escaped Egypt. The fact that you had two to three million people walking out in middle of the day, high noon, at the, at, the, at the height of that day, they walked out. Typically, we think they, they escaped at night. They did not escape at night. The 10th plague right, happened at night. They didn't leave till the next morning. Pharaoh said, get out, and the Jews said, next morning. Lest anyone say we escaped under the cover of night, we're going to leave when it's the middle of the day. Yeah? No running. We're walking out. We're walking out free. We're not running away, right, a la Shawshank. This is not, we're not running away, right? We're walking out, heads held high. That's how we're doing this. That's how we're rolling. In other words, this was a miracle of grand proportion. This didn't make any, this doesn't make any sense. It didn't make sense then. It doesn't make sense now how this could possibly happen. It was a product, of course, as we know, of the plagues and the miracles, all supernatural phenomena. It, it's unbelievable how this, how this all transpired. And so what we have here are two completely different systems. We have the system called nature and the system called the supernatural. In life, there are things that follow a natural path. And then there are moments that take us by surprise, they take our breath away. They're like, how did that happen? A glitch in the matrix. What is that? What was that? What just happened? So you have the natural and the supernatural. Two different systems. Rosh Hashanah is the origin of the natural universe. God created the world and embedded in the world the laws of nature. And then it unfolds from there. 
Nature, things work the way they work. That's how God set it up. That's nature. And, t- and Nisan, the month that we're upcoming, the month that we're coming up to, Exodus. What's Exodus? God breaks the rules. Yeah, water flows. Water always goes, nope, it's going to stand up like a wall. Water's water. Nope, it's now blood. How does that make sense? It doesn't. It doesn't have to. Each of these paths has a divine message. We have nature, two different systems. The annual, the, the, the yearly cycle of nature, the monthly cycle of the supernatural. By the way, they're reflected in the month in the sun and the moon. Right? The moon, sorry, the sun is consistent. It's natural. The moon is all over the place. It's volatile. It's big. It's small. It's big. It's small. It's like the miracle. It takes it by surprise. I mean, I know we can chart it. But right, symbolically, it's like it's volatile. By the way, both represent divine energy. Because there's a divine power in the consistency of nature. The fact that nature is so consistent, that itself requires the divine energy. I mean, how could nature be so consistent? Everything, listen, every machine breaks. It's the way it is. Every machine breaks. How is this not broken? And somebody would say, oh, it did break. It broke. It will break. Fine. It's working. Right? As long as it's working, let's not call it broken yet. Yet. Right? So how could it go so long? How could it be so long unbroken? Okay, we say this is divine power. So in other words, even in the consistency of the natural order, even in the exquisite symmetry of nature, you can see a divine pattern there perhaps. If you look hard enough, if you choose to see it, you can find a divine pattern. In the miracle, in the miraculous, certainly you can see something that's a bit divine and not natural. Each expresses a different ability of God. God has the ability to be consistent and also to surprise us, to break the laws. You with me? Both are divine powers. There's a divine power in the consistency and a divine power in the inconsistency or in the, the surprise. You go to your favorite restaurant and you order your favorite dish and it's consistent. Every time you order, it's the same. And you're like, this is amazing. This is divine. Unbelievable. Every time I come here, I order the same dish, taste the same. I love this. Somebody else might say, surprise me. I want something I have never tasted before. And God says, I got you both covered. I got you both covered. I got a system of years, an annual system, a solar system, not that solar system, but a cycle that runs by the sun, consistent. Every day, there's a sun. Every, it's exactly the same every day. You can re- It's reliable. Reliability. It's divine. Reliability is a beautiful thing, beautiful trait. But what about the person that wants some spontaneity? I got that also, God says. Come back six months later, celebrate some exodus, That'll take you by surprise. Didn't see that coming. Wow. Ten plagues out of nowhere. That's incredible. These are both ways in which, to paraphrase the kids nowadays, where God flexes. God flexes in the consistency, right? God flexes in the supernatural and the surprise, right? God is manifest in the consistency and God is manifest in The tension of the inconsistent, of the miraculous, of the supernatural, of the surprise. In a relationship, both are essential qualities. Every day, you got to be there for your significant other. But it's also good to surprise them with something. You with me on this? You need both. A healthy relationship requires both modalities, right? Consistent, consistent, consistent can be a little boring sometimes. You need a, right? You need a, to, uh... To change it up sometimes, right? And that's the exodus. But if you change it up all the time and there's no consistency, that's a little too volatile also. 
So what do you have? You have a need for both systems. And each one has its time and each one has its place. Come here, Rosh Hashanah, and we're celebrating consistency. We're celebrating the world, the natural order of things. God created nature, created the human being. We have our nature. We have the way things work. You plant the seed. It grows. It develops with sun and, 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 and water and, and all these wonderful things. Everything, it's a system. There's the way the world works. You can study science, and things are predictable. You can figure things out. How does science work? There are rules that we figured out. We reverse this. We we um, reverse engineered the universe, so we figure things out. I mean, we're working on it, right? Reverse engineer the universe. We can figure out some rules, and based on those rules, now we can work. Now we can create new stuff. It's wonderful. It's gavaldic. It's fantastic. But all of that is all that is possible because there are rules. If there are no rules, now what? Now, now science goes out the window. Science only works because there are rules in the universe. When did rules begin? Tishrei creation. God's only about rules? Only consistency? No. God also has a, has a spontaneous flair. Yeah, God can also surprise us. When do we see that? The month of Nisan. And so we have two beginnings of the year. Beginning of the year? Sorry, we have two beginnings. Beginning of the year, nature, and beginning of the months, supernatural. Both represent, both reflect a divine power. The divine can be consistent. The divine can be... Not inconsistent, but can be spontaneous. And these are qualities that we inculcate in our lives. Let me share a spiritual, psychological insight. One more step on this. And that is that in our lives, there are two ways to connect with God. One way is connecting Developing, developing an understanding, an appreciation, and a love for doing the mitzvah. Whatever mitzvah it is. I get it. It's meaningful. I want to do it. I love doing it, so I'm going to do it. When you do that mitzvah, that you get, that you love, that makes sense, that hit fires on all cylinders, like you love this mitzvah. When you do that mitzvah, you're all in. You've transformed yourself to be all in on that mitzvah. And it feels amazing. It feels amazing. You are perfectly, you are perfectly synced with that mitzvah. And that's like into a sun modality. Everything is working in its order, in its system, it makes sense, it's perfect. But then there are certain mitzvot that are difficult for us. There's that mitzvah that's like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I, I, can't, I can't wrap my head around it. I don't feel excited about doing it. But I know that I'm supposed to do it. So what do I do now? Like, I know I'm supposed to do it, but I don't really, I don't feel it. So what do I do? In order for me to do that mitzvah, I have to, I'm using, like, not, not literally, but I have to break myself. Right? I have to like force myself almost to do that mitzvah. I don't want to over-dramatize it. But it's true in anything, right? Sometimes a friend asks for a favor. Like, sure, I'd love to help. And sometimes you're like, oh, are you kidding me? You asked me to help you move on my day off? I have to schlep boxes up and downstairs? Are you kidding me? But you do it anyway. And when you do it anyway, you know what you do? You kind of force yourself into it. You're like, all right, I don't want to do it. I'm going to bite the bullet and do it. 
This is the same thing in divine service when it comes to, to serving God, Torah, mitzvot, etc. There are things that we love and we do it and it's consistent and it's smooth. And every time we love doing it and it's easy, that's the, that's the sun. That's the solar cycle. Consistent, smooth, easy going, easy pouring. It's good to go. And then you have those mitzvot where it's a struggle. Oh, and you don't want to do it, but you do it anyway because you have to. And some days maybe you're not going to do it because you don't want to do it. And it's, there's ups and downs. It's volatile. It's like the moon. You never know what you're going to get over there with the moon. Some days it's full. Some days it's gone. Some days it's here. Some days it's not there. Every day is different. Each one of us, we're called upon to develop both. There's an advantage to love doing a mitzvah because that means you're on board with it. There's also an advantage to not love doing it and doing it anyway. There's an advantage to that. You know why? Because you put in more effort in the latter. What's more valuable? When you helped your friend move when you wanted to or when you did it anyway even though you didn't want to? Each one has an advantage. When you wanted to do it so you're in sync you're perfectly in sync with that mitzvah, with that other person. You're in sync with that activity. That's, that's good. That's good. But there's also something good about not being in sync with it and doing it anyway, forcing yourself to do it, if it's a good deed. I'm not saying do something that's not good, but something that's good, something that's ultimately healthy, to, to break yourself, to force yourself to do it, that also expresses a quality, an internal quality, that also expresses an inner, that also unleashes an inner power. Are you with me? Does that make sense? So, the moral of the story is that we should do the things that we're comfortable doing. And also, again, only in good things. I'm not talking about negative things. And, and, and also do the things that we're not comfortable doing. The sun things are the things that we're comfortable. The moon things are the things that we're not so comfortable doing. Each one has a mila. Each one has an advantage. The sun advantage is consistency. You're locked in. You're pu purely, you're perfectly aligned with the divine will in that area. You love giving tzedakah. Every, you have a push, give a tzedakah box in your house. Every day you put in a nickel or a penny or a dime or a quarter or a dollar bill. You love it. Every day you're consistent. You love it. That's a sun mitzvah. Great. There's a first for that. There's an app for that. There's a first for that. Wonderful. Keep, keep going. Keep consistent. It's divine. It's beautiful. And then there's mitzvot. It's hard to get out of, the bed, out of bed. Right? Shabbos morning, come to shul. Oh, it's my day off. I have to come to shul. I'd rather sleep in. Isn't it a day of rest? Right? Didn't someone say it's a day of rest? Why am I schlepping out to shul? Right? It's a day of rest. You do it anyway. That's also beautiful. You do it anyway. That's also magnificent. That's also grand. Because it means that a human being had the ability to let go of their own challenge and embrace something that is of a higher will. And that's marvelous as well. So each one has its... That's the moon. That's the, the surprising, inconsistent, wow, I didn't see that coming, moon modality. And so in life... As it is in nature, we need our sun mitzvot, mitzvot, we need our moon mitzvot, we need to do things we should, not need, we should do things that we love and also do things that we don't love. So this week, here's the homework. I don't always give homework, but this week I'll give homework. So this week, indulge in a mitzvah that you love and lean into a mitzvah that you don't always love. 
do it anyway. Whether it's between you and God, between you and another, lean into a mitzvah. You know it's the right thing. It's hard to do it, but that makes it valuable. That makes it even more valuable. When, when you don't want to do it, but you do it anyway, it's the right thing. That makes it truly valuable. Make sense? Yes? Sort of? Ish? Yeah. yeah. I would go back. Yeah. I'm not saying why is it aligned with the moon? Yeah. Because the way we explain the moon is like this. Good question. So the way we explain the moon is that it represents the supernatural, right? Divine, the exodus. Let's just go back to the exodus, right? Tishrei, Rosh Hashanah is when God created the world, so that's nature, the laws of nature. And on, uh, uh, at Passover, the exodus, God broke the rules of nature because the rules of nature are the strong beat up the, the weak. That's the rules of nature. The fact that the weak got out, that makes no sense. That, that broke all the rules. And plus the, the, the intimate process by which that happened with the ten plagues, the actual process was absolutely rule-breaking. So that's the idea of breaking the rules, which breaking the rules signifies that which is not comfortable with the system, if you will. In other words, nature is perfectly at ease with the system. It's perfectly smooth. There's no friction. Whereas a miracle is essentially divine will forcing its way and breaking the laws of nature, which is exactly what we do when we do a mitzvah that we don't want to do. Is that we have our nature, and I'm not, our nature is not to be comfortable with that. And you know what? We did it anyway. We broke through that barrier. We have a barrier. In this case, that example that I gave is sleep, right? I like sleeping, right? That's my barrier. And what happened was I, my higher will... My spiritual will broke that. Just like the miracle is the divine energy breaking the laws of nature. Okay. So it's, break, it's, it's breaking, it's, it's, it's overriding, if you will, the status quo. So the sun doesn't override any status It is the status quo. Certain mitzvot, that's your status quo. You love doing the mitzvah. Never change. What about the ones that you don't want to do? Miracle. Miracle it. Break it. Override it. So miracle is overriding nature. We, have to over, we should override our nature also from time to time in good things. Um, it reminds me of a story where a mother walks into her son's room Shabbat morning and says, uh, Moshe, you got to wake up. Services are starting. You got to wake up. He says, I'm tired. I don't want to wake up. You got to get up. You got to get up. He says, I don't want to get up. He says, you have to get up. He says, why? She says, because services are starting. He's like, I don't want to go. She says, you have to go. He says, why? So she says, because you're the rabbi. Uh, my friends, all right, that was a joke. So what's the point? What's the moral of the story? Like I said, two things for your homework, right? It's Shabbos, Parshas HaChodesh, this, this week. This Shabbat is Rosh Chodesh Nisan. It's the first of the months of the year. Not the first of the year. That's Rosh Hashanah. It's the first of the months of the year. And so really the emphasis, I guess, because we always have to have both, but the emphasis this Shabbos is on the things that we don't really want to do, where the inner Pharaoh says no, and the counter voice is Fundeswagen. Nonetheless, I'm going to do it. Nonetheless, I'm still going to do it. You know why? Because I don't have to listen to my inner Pharaoh. Just because it's uncomfortable, just because it's not my nature, so what? I don't want to stop at the stop sign. I do it anyway. Right? I do it anyway. Because, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. So not everything. You with me on this on that example? I have to get somewhere. I'd, I'd rather not stop, but I stop. Sometimes I go, even though I don't want to go. The point is, we have the ability to override our nature. And we grow through those experiences. We grow when we, when we, uh, when we 
transcend our own limitations. That's how we grow. We get outside the box a little bit. So it's good to be in the box. If the box is good, it's good to be there. It's also good to get outside the box this week, this month that we're starting Nissan. Time to get out of the box. That is liberation. That is exodus. That is freedom, inner freedom, not being a slave to our own limitations. Let's embrace this in our own lives, in our own service. And let's bring the ultimate redemption with the coming of Mashiach, speed in our days, and let us say, Amen. L'chaim, everyone. This is just water, but whatever. All right, let's take questions or comments. I see something in the chat. No gibrucks, exactly. No edematza. That's exactly the Chabad custom. All right, questions, comments. I'm looking at our online crew, a.k.a. the online crew. That's what you guys are called. All right. Yes, yeah, Sarah, go ahead. So which one, the sun or the moon, gets you closer to humility? Ooh, good. You know what's interesting? In Hebrew, and I try to avoid Kabbalistic terminology. Everything was from Kabbalah and Chassidus. I try to avoid sticking to the original terms just because it would complicate things. But in the original terms, one is called Ishapcha and one is called Eskafya. So ishapcha means that I've undergone such personal transformation that I am aligned with the divine will. So I've aligned myself with the divine will so that we're in perfect sync. That is a tremendous accomplishment. But you know what else is a tremendous accomplishment? When I'm not in alignment, and I do it anyway. I'm saying, how do you measure which one is, is better? Uh, Sarah, uh, how, how did you phrase your question again? Can you, can you say it one more time? Well, I was thinking that... It, um... Which is closer to which is which is the sun or the moon going to get you closer to humility? Humility, good. So the here's the question. So let me let me put it in this context. Humility is it more of a surrender to sublimate to transform your inner self to the point that you are on the same page as God, or is it more humble to not be on the same page and to do it anyway? I don't know. I mean, surrender in the classic sense would be, I don't want to do it, I'm doing it anyway. But one could argue that no, the, the, sun, uh, the sun modality is more surrender. You've surrendered so much that you don't even have a counter, a counter will. Are you with me on that? Does that make sense? Ishapcha is transformation to the point that now you're on the same page. Eskafia is where you're not on the same page, but you're forcing yourself. Uh, sorry, does that, does that, so are you with me in, the, in my conundrum how to answer, I don't know how to answer your question. I see what you're talking about, um, but, but it seems like usually in the Torah, the, the struggle that, that releases more. Right. So the struggle that where you can transcend yourself more than when, it, when it's what's comfortable for you. Right, so when there's the struggle, I think it's mo more overt that you're giving up something, that you're dedicating something of yourself that otherwise would not do it. You're doing it for God. So I think that evokes, maybe in a more obvious way, the surrender and the humility. But if you think about it, you, what, what we're really asking is, whose avoda, whose divine service is greater, a tzaddik or a non-tzaddik? A tzaddik is divine to somebody who wants to do the right thing. That, no challenge. Like, I want to do the right thing. So... The question is, is it tzaddik more surrendered to God because he or she is surrendered 24-7? Or is the non-tzaddik... A tzaddik can't stand in the place where the... Right. So ultimately, you're right. Ultimately, it's because the one who doesn't want to but does it anyway has to exert more effort. Right. 
So when we're basing it on effort, certainly the, the moon modality wins out. But your question was about humility and about surrender. I mean, I, I know you didn't say surrender. I'm, I'm using that word. I, I, is full surrender the greatest expression of surrender? Or is surrender because you're not fully aligned, is that the greatest expression of surrender? I know I keep on asking the question, but it's really, it's because in the sources in Kabbalah and Chassidus, both advantages are pointed out. Both advantages are pointed out. I think ultimately we usually, the needle, if it has to go one direction, it usually goes the direction that you're suggesting, which is the idea of breaking ourselves, of, of pushing ourselves beyond our comfort zone just because it's the right thing. I think that's where kind of the, 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 the pull goes if we had to like move the needle one or the other, if we had to choose one way or the other. But there's certainly a very strong element of humility and surrender in the tzaddik who's completely sublimated to God 24-7, who's completely transformed the inner character to match the divine will. That's a big deal. I mean, look, I think we all have, and as I said tonight, we all have a mitzvah or many that we are aligned with, that we would never dream of doing otherwise and we love doing. We all have that. Now imagine if that was everything. That would be very, would be very, uh, very lofty level. Imagine everything, every mitzvah we wanted to do, every non-mitzvah we didn't want to do. That would be pure, that would be perfect alignment. That would be a big deal. Um, but again, yeah, you're right that there is a suggestion that the person who's not aligned, who's like, I really don't want to do that, but I'm going to do it anyway, that's, that may be a, a greater example of uh, expression of humility. Yeah. We most all fall in that second category, not the first category. Yeah, we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to worry. No, but, in a, but it, yes, in, on, a to, on, a, on, a, on a large scale level, yeah, we're not, we're not tzaddikim. You have rare exceptions of people. But 99.9999, keep on going with the nines, are not tzaddikim. But even a non-tzaddik has a mitzvah or two or many that they love doing, right? We all have good deeds that we love doing, causes that we're totally on board with. Like, I love that cause. And, ooh, that would be, I, 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 would, I would very much, I, that thing, that negative behavior is abhorrent to me. That means you're aligned, whether for the positive or the negative, right? That means alignment. Like, I love doing that, and I would never dream of doing that. You know what that means? You're aligned. Wonderful. So, that's also a thing. That's also a, that's also a level. That's also a good thing. It's good to be aligned. It's also good to not be aligned and do it anyway. Look, let's talk about kids. Let's talk about kids, right? It's nice when the kid gets the information in class and aces the test and gets 100. That's nice. You know what's also nice? When the kid struggles and puts in a lot of effort and gets a decent grade with a lot of effort. Even though it was a struggle, that's also good. Are you with me? There's two different... How do you rank? I don't know how you rank. I don't, you rank by the effort? Do you rank by the, by the, the chiddush, by, by the novelty of it? You know, like, like, I didn't see that coming, so that's why it's greater. Could be. Could be. Could be. We say that the kid that naturally is not gifted at math, let's say, who worked really hard to get a, a, you know, a decent grade in math, that's greater than the kid who's like a math whiz and perfectly attuned. Could be. Could be. One could argue that the math whiz is the math whiz. So that's, they have the greater... Again, you could really go either way on it. But I, I totally get it that if we're measuring it, at least where we stand, as non-Sadiqim, certainly we have the, um, 
the inclination to go that direction of saying that, that, that the iskafia, the breaking oneself, the, the effort that we have to put in to get to that place is, is more valuable. And you can't argue with that. And the Talmud says it. Yeah, Fred. Um, isn't there a story about the moon wanted to be the main player in the heavens? Yeah. To show it some humility, it has to now depend on its uh, light source from the sun. Yes, yes. The Talmud says, then the, the Torah says, God created the two large lights. And then it continues. The large light to rule by day and the small night, r- light to rule by night. And the Talmud says, one second. It says, God created two large lights. And then it says, the large one by day and the small, small one by night. What happened? How did it get from two large to one large, one small? So Talmud says, yeah, Talmud Medrash says that the moon complains. says, why? You can't have two kings sharing one crown. So God says, okay, so now make yourself smaller. You spoke up, now, so, now, so now you're out. Now you're out, now you don't have your own light. Originally, they, they were both sharing light, shedding light, emanating light. And now God says you don't have your own light. Now you're the moon, right? But it represents us. In other words, there are tzaddikim that emanate light that are all, that, that, that's, and then there's non-tzaddikim, right? Us, right? I, with my, with, uh, with my, my apologies, all of us, right? Unless you're tzaddik, in which case I apologize. But... Normal people. Normal people are not suns, they're moons. And that means it's complicated. To get light going, it's very complicated. It's like I have my own agenda. I have to share, I have to reflect light. Yeah, it's going to be hard. And some days we're on and some days we're off and some days we wax and some days we wane. And that's the story of our lives. And there's value, there's beauty in that. So in this month, listen, uh, Sarah, certainly this month, Nisan, we celebrate the Iskafia. I didn't want to do it. I did it anyway. I can feel proud of that. I feel proud. I can feel the, the joy. I can feel the pride of not, of, of struggling with something, doing it anyway. That's the muscle that we flex this month. All right. So let's begin Adar. Sorry, we're in Adar. We've had two months of Adar this year. Let's begin the month of Nisan with strength, with a bang. Let's, 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 express our Nisan quality by taking on a mitzvah that we struggle with and pushing through doing it anyway. So find a mitzvah. You all, everyone has a mitzvah. Everyone's got a mitzvah. It might be prayer. Some people are like, oh, prayer. Rather have a root canal than, than hold the siddur and pray in a language I don't know and read the English. I don't know what, what, I'm, what I'm saying. If maybe it's prayer, maybe it's tzedakah, maybe it's tefillin, maybe it's Shabbat candles, maybe it's Kiddush Friday night, maybe it's whatever, whatever, whatever your deal is. Maybe you love all the above. Now you're on your own. I don't have any suggestions for you right now. So whatever it is, find a mitzvah that you find a little bit of resistance, internal resistance, and make it happen. Even once, make it happen. Make it happen in honor of the month of the miracle. Make your own miracle happen. All right. I want to officially acknowledge, I don't think I said everyone's name. Maybe I did. I don't remember. Steve and Donna and Fred and David and Mike and Sarah and Paul and Donna and Ray and Adina Malka and Mom and Sarah and Richard and Susan and Karen and Joy. Karen, special mention. Thank you for joining us. And Joy and Steve and Lisa and Ekaterina. Thank you all for joining tonight. And we'll officially sign off. Shay and? Faith. Faith. And Matt and Marnine, thank you all for being here tonight. Thank you all for studying, and we'll see you soon. Take care, everybody. Laila Tov. Thank you. Pleasure, pleasure. Can we keep these? Do you want the back? Yeah.